Well, good morning. As you can see, we're starting our series in the book of Revelation this morning. And the first one is the time is near. We'll be looking at the first three verses of the book. Now, before we get started, I'll probably make this a lot more as we continue through the book. There is no way I can cover every possible thing. There is a lot of ink been spilt about this book. And as we go, uh, I will tell you about good resources to help you. There's a lot of different views on these things. Uh, as we work through them, I'm going to tell you uh, what I think, what I believe, and why I do. And you can discuss with me afterwards. And I did not announce this this morning, but we're going to start on Sunday nights, the third Sunday night of a month, starting in February, called Table Talk. It'll be happening in the Fellowship Hall. We'll all sit around and have conversations. We may have a topic, we may not, but that's the time we can discuss these issues, discuss issues about our church, discuss a lot of issues that are happening out in our world. That's the reason that God really laid us on my heart, a place we can gather around together as the family of God, open the Word of God together and search his word for the answers that we need. So I, I invite you to come. It's going to be relaxed. We'll have some finger food and refreshments and all that. But really it's a time we can sit down and, and have these discussions. Because if you haven't figured this out already, I don't have the corner on biblical knowledge. All right, I don't know it all. There's still more stuff to learn, more stuff to apply. But as we approach this book of Revelation, one question begs to be asked, and that is, what is the purpose of Revelation? Why, why did God include this in his word? Is it just merely an outline about the future intervention of God? Is it to portray the people of God symbolically in a lot of that? Now, one of the purposes, notice I didn't say purpose, all right. One of the purposes is, I believe, is a call of accountability to the people of God. Now look at verse 4 in the text. That's not part of our text this morning, but look at verse 4. There is a word, churches. It comes from the Greek word ecclesia. It comes from two words, a preposition, ek meaning from or out of, and kaloa, which means to call out. So really, it's the, the ones called out. So if you're a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, you have been called out. It reminds you of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you or urge you or beg you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling which you have been called. We have been called out of the world. We've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light to reflect His Son to a lost and dying world. Not chase too much of a rabbit this morning. You realize that you may be the only Jesus that some people see. And we're all called to reflect that light into the world. Revelation talks about and gives us this imminency or imminence of Christ's return. Look at verse 3, the ending of verse 3. For the time is near. And that's where I get this whole idea of account 
of giving a, a account, accountability for believers. There's an illustration that talks about a little boy who goes into a candy store and he's walking around looking at each cab, looking at each display with the utmost gravity. I mean, he's really looking at this candy and he's going on and on and on. And finally his mother tells him, come on, we, we got to go or hurry up. Spend your money. We must be going. But the little boy replied, Mama, I only got one dollar, and I want to spend it carefully. Dearly beloved, we only have one life to spend. And the best way to spend our life is for the Lord Jesus Christ. May I ask you this morning, how are you spending your life? Do you live your life in the reality of Christ's return? You realize he could return in the next five minutes. He may return next week. He may return next year. But it's reality we must all face that he is coming and coming soon. It's never been a question of if, but only a question of when. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come or is coming just like a thief in the night. We don't know, but we always must be ready. And with that, let's look at our text. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not talking about, you think, well, Jesus has already been revealed in the incarnation, yes, but this is the revelation Jesus is giving to show his bondservants. God gave it to Jesus, now Jesus is showing or giving it to his bondservants. So John wants us to understand from the outset that the Jesus who came to earth revealing himself in human flesh, who lived a perfect life, who was sinless, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, He is the very same one who is mediating the visions that we read about in this book. So, or therefore, it is a direct word from God himself. It's an unveiling of his plan and purposes. It's not mere human speculation or religious reflection. May may I just say something about religious or religion? The most simplest definition of religion is man's attempt to reach God, which we can never do. Christianity says you can't do that. Christianity says God reached down to man through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Christianity is relational at its very core. That word translated revelation, it means to uncover what was formerly hidden or making fully known. And this word has strong religious and eschatological force. 
Eschatology is a word I'm trying to use. Eschatology is a big theological word. It means study of end times. In this context, Jesus' revelation of the impending future, this future that's coming quick, what's coming quick? The things which must soon take place. These visions are presented, look at the text, as uncovering hidden truths. What's hidden? Hidden from our eyes, but it's true. The reality of God's sovereign control of the future. How God is going to bring an end to evil's seeming success. We always feel like that, don't we? Why do good people suffer? Well, in the book of Revelation, it's unveiled to us how God's going to bring this all to an end. And this, which God gave him to show or to present to his bondservants. So God, once again, God himself is the source of everything we find in this book. And the sovereignty of God is a central theme of not only Revelation, but the entire Bible. And we see the Father and Son together throughout the book. Now let's go back to what he showed it to, to his bond service. This is very interesting. There are two words in the Greek that are translated servant or slave. Now, diakonos is where we get our English word deacon. Means a, a waiter or a worker, an employee who chooses to act like a servant. Now, doulos is a slave, one who's forced to work regardless if he wants to or not. And this servant is actually in the Greek in the trans, in the Greek here. It's doulos, but I understand why the translators picked bondservant because John is not forced to be God's slave against his will, but. John is acting like a role of a slave because he wants to serve God. You see the difference? Very important that we get that. And, of course, the Greek also brings out the global nature of the message. So let me ask you, are you a diakonos? Or are you just walking through the motions, hitting a time clock as an employee who wants to serve God on only a Sunday mornings? Or are you taking on the role of a doulos, a slave, which is more relational, that doesn't have a time clock or time you stop? That's a relation. It never stops. And by the way, if we're in that role, a slave doesn't get a thank you card, does he? Doesn't get a call, say, good job. We're doing what we should do as followers of Jesus Christ. These things which must soon or must, must quickly Take place. And this is interesting because we find the same construction in Mark chapter 13, verse 7, the signs of the end. And Mark 13, verse 7 says this When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Have you heard of wars recently? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Have you heard of, of rumors of wars? Have you, have you watched the news in the last 24 hours? God's telling us, don't be afraid. These things must take place, but it's not the end. What it should do for us as believers should give us a sense of urgency. 
that time is drawing to a close and we must go out and share the gospel and make disciples of all nations. The impending end of history, that constant theme that we find throughout the New Testament is at the heart of the book of Revelation and is intended to draw us into a sense of expectation and responsibility. You see, history is not a haphazard sequence of events, of unrelated events. It's divinely decreed ordering of what must take place. It is logical and a moral necessity arising from the nature of God. It is the revelation of his purposes arising, excuse me, his purposes in creation and redemption. So history is working itself out just like God wants it to. He's the one guiding it, pushing it, pulling it to a certain point in time when Jesus will come back again. I've said this earlier in Bible school this morning. There's, there's two things I don't quite understand. There's been a lot of ink spilled on this. It's God's sovereign will that can't be thwarted and man's responsibility or man's choice, the free will of man. I don't know how that all works together, but nothing is catching God off guard. It's all working for his glory as he reveals his purposes to us. And look what John says in the last part of verse 1. He said he sent it and communicated it or signified it by his angel to his bond servant Job. I mean John. John doesn't claim any special title or authority. He aligns himself with other believers in calling himself a slave. Verse 2. John, who testified or bore witness to through things, the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. If you look down at verse 9, that's the very reason why he ends up in Patmos, exiled to begin with. Because he testified about the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even everything that John saw when Jesus walked the earth. That word witness means to fiercely, publicly proclaim, even in the face of tremendous opposition, the proclamation of divine realities, something that our society doesn't want to hear. It reminds you back in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter. This is to take a side note for a second. Remember Peter? What did Peter do when Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin? And a girl saw him and said, you are Jesus' disciple. You're with the Galilean. And he says, no, I don't know him. It happens a second time. The third time, very strong language that is used. No, I do not know the man. And he makes eye contact with Christ. And we're told that he goes out and he wept bitterly. Jesus is crucified. He raises from the dead. The resurrection, Peter sees him. And now this same Peter, who was so scared, just a few weeks later, now we find him in Acts chapter 2 doing this proclamation fiercely, without any fear. Look what he says in verse 36. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. That is going out and making a public, public proclamation of the truth. And I want to warn you, when you do that in the culture in which we find ourselves, people are not going to like you very much when you stand up and tell them the truth. But we are given that duty, that responsibility to fearlessly go out and proclaim the truth of who he is. Of course, Jesus' witnesses validates and authenticates the divine origins of this book. So John is basically saying, hey, don't take my word for it. I got this from Jesus. And by the way, I'm exiled out here on this island because I witness about the word of God and who Jesus is. That's why I'm out here to begin with. These things are real. It's not made up. It's not some fairy tale that I sat down and wrote about. And as we move through the book of Revelation, there are going to be some scary images in this book that will grab you. Our God is a loving God, a kind God, a forgiving God. But he's also a God of wrath and judgment. What ties that together? His righteousness ties that together. We must never forget that. In verse 3, to sum it all up, he says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. That word blessed is makarios. We see that in the Beatitudes. That's in Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. Blessed are the ones who mourn. Blessed are the ones who grieve. Remember that? And it tells us about the blessings, the standards that, that God has, and then the blessings that come by keeping his standards. That's what the Beatitudes are. That's the same word that's used here. Why is the one blessed, the one who hears and the one who reads? It's because you're hearing the words of God and the testimony of Jesus. You're in on the plan. God is letting us know his plan and his purposes for the future. Otherwise, that all had remained hidden and we would not know it. It would remained hidden in the province of God. God is letting us in. The best way I can, let me just put it this way. Jesus is pulling back the curtain, if you will, and let us see into eternity what's going to happen. Why are we so scared? <laughs> we, have, we know how it ends. And as, they, as their first readers who read this book were encountering tribulations, we have tribulations as well. They are blessed and we are blessed by the assurance that Christ reigns supreme. He's guiding history to his design Climax. He is directing it. God's blessing is for those who endure to the end. It's one thing to stand here and proclaim God's word from this pulpit inside the confines of this nice facility with fellow believers. But where the rubber really hits the road, am I willing to do it in the face of opposition when people are calling me names, throwing stones at me, or locking me up in jail? And you're saying, Tim, that will never happen here in America. And I beg to differ. There's a lot of things happening I thought I never would see. But will I endure to the end? 
Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 13. Jesus speaking. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Did you catch what he was saying? You'll have tribulation. They're going to kill you. You'll be hated because of my name. Many will fall away. Betray one another. Hate one another. The love of many will go cold. Does that sound like anything we see happening today? And what gets me, dearly beloved, it's not just outside in the world. It's inside the church. Sometimes people don't go to church now. This is not an excuse for them not to come. But people don't come because of the way Christians have treated each other throughout the years. And you read that. And you read it in the context where the time is near. You can't help but wonder how much time is really left. We like to fool ourselves thinking, I'll do this tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. No. You may not have tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. The reason it's called the present is exactly what it is. It is a present. So blessed are those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed. Not only do you listen, but you heed it. You keep it. You take it to heart. Hearing and keeping are combined frequently in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that Hebrew word translated here has the applied meaning to obey. So hearing and obey are two concepts that are inseparable biblically. Biblically, you hear it and you obey. It's not you hear it and you take it. No, you hear and you obey. You ever heard the old hymn, Trust and Obey? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's where the words from that hymn came from, to hear it. If you look at John chapter 10, you'll see the parable of the good shepherd. And in that parable, Jesus talks about his sheep hear his voice. They know it and they follow him. Which is basically the ethical principle of the perseverance that's defined in the book. Keeping God's instructions is one of the major themes. We are to heed it. We are to take it to heart the things which are written in this prophecy. It's an indication that what we're reading is not just a prediction of things to come, but it must be considered as moral instruction as well. Now, you can go and read a lot of different commentaries about the purpose of Revelation, but yes, it does tell us what's going to happen. But I'm telling you, in these first three verses, what I see, we're told all this because we are to live our lives according to what we know. If this is true, if Revelation is true, how am I living my life? How am I conducting myself? We heed the words. Look at the last part of verse 3. Because the time is near. For the time is near. Because 
the time is near because the Lord's return is imminent. It's, it's near. It's about to happen. And you see that time and time again in the New Testament. It's a call to all the believers to live responsibly toward the Lord our God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The return of Christ. Don't forsake the assembling together, but you need to assemble together. Be it here in this building or be it at your homes, we need to assemble together to encourage one another. To hold each other accountable how we're living. James chapter 5, verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Oh, dearly beloved, we've lost that. We've lost that sense. Oh, my goodness, this could be the day. Ever wake up and went, whoo, this could be the day. But if you're like me, it's a sense of joy and happiness, but also a sense of almost dread. Because it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. See, there's two great variables. There's probably more than just two, by the way, that you and I can do nothing about. And the first is the day and the hour of the second coming of Christ. Listen to what Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 24, going down to verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. And he qualifies it. Listen to this. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Jesus doesn't even know. The angels do not know. Only the Father does. And then he gives this description. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Remember what Noah did? He built the ark, right? hundred some odd years, he built this ark. No one has seen rain up to this point. And he's building this. And people are laughing at him. And he kept telling people about what's going to happen. The flood's going to come. I can only imagine that sometimes maybe his sons start to think, well, I think dad might have lost it. Been out in the sun too long. But people are mocking him. They're ridiculing him. Only when all the animals get into the ark, Noah and his family get in the ark, and the text says, God shut the door. Catch that? There was enough room in that ark for a lot more people. But God shut it. And as the water started to fall from the sky, and the text tells us it came up from the ground, the people started knocking, hey, let me in. And Joseph says, I didn't shut the door, and I can't open the door. It is too late. Second coming of Christ. People are going to party. Everything keeps going on like it has been. You Christians have been talking about the return of Christ for over 2,000 years. Yet everything keeps going. People do what they want. Just let people do what they want. Whatever feels good, do it. And then one day, one day, that sky is going to be rolled back like a scroll. And the trumpet is going to sound. And the Lord Jesus will descend. And we'll see him as he truly is. He's not coming born in the manger this time, dear beloved. He's coming on a white horse to take over. The king of kings and lords of lords. And we will see him. And the text tells us, as we said last week, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. To the glory of the Father. You have that. Don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Take it to the bank. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Tim, so much time has happened. Well, go back to his birth. Do you realize 
how far back his birth was prophesied before it happened. Centuries before it happened, they were talking about this coming Messiah and what he was going to do. And people didn't believe it then. In fact, when he shows up, they still couldn't grab their mind at this Jesus is the Messiah. And we find ourselves in the same situation. We're told that he's coming again. We know he's coming again. But do we really believe it? The other thing is the day and the hour of your physical death. Now, we can do things to help our bodies and take care of our bodies. I'm not against that. Go see the doctor. But our days are numbered. Hebrews 9, 27, inasmuch as is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. See, spiritual death is the second death. When you're forever separated from God. See, when people see that, and they do declare that he is Lord, it's going to be too late. Because they never did it here. They never bowed in humble submission to who he is. The early church, early church believed in and expected the immediate return of Christ. So much so they thought it was going to happen on their watch. They thought Christ was going to return. In fact, if you go back and read about the ascension, goes up in heaven, all the disciples are doing this, staring into the sky, thinking, well, he's about to come back. And finally, he came, what are you guys doing here? I'm paraphrasing. We got, you need to go out and be his witnesses. In fact, God let persecution happen to Jerusalem to get them out of Jerusalem to go out and tell the rest of the world. See, the focus of Revelation is not just on eschatology, the study of end times, but also ethics, behavior, how we spend our time. And I said this once, I'm going to say it again. The most precious thing you've got, more than money or wealth or position, is time. You only got so much of it. You realize that almost an hour has gone by and we can't get that hour back. It's gone forever. You can't get it back. And yes, I've learned a hard lesson. The older I get, the faster it goes. We need to be very careful how we spend our time, what we watch, where we go, what we say. Everything should be under the lens of the second coming of Christ. So in light of the time is near, as the text has told us, how are you living? Are you living in a state of being prepared? Let's back up. Have you taken the steps to be prepared? Have you humbly submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Letting Him be Lord of your life. And and Him being Lord means He's calling the shots now, not you. Have you let the blood of Christ wash all your sins away? Coming to church on Sunday, although important, will not get you there. Giving, although that's important, tithing, that will not get you there. Being a so-called good person won't get you there. It's only through the relationship of Jesus Christ will you get there. Have you done that? And if you are a believer, 
we are called to live decisively and completely for God. You and I as believers, as we started out, are the called out ones. That word holy means to be different. When I tell my wife that I love her, I don't mean the love that the world tries to describe that you see portrayed in movies that people fall in and out of love and all that sort of stuff. No, I'm loving her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When I tell you I love you, I'm loving you as Christ loves you. That's, that's the standard, you see. And when I say I forgive you, I forgive you as Christ has forgiven me. That's the standard, which I fall short many times, but that is the standard. That's what's supposed to separate us from everybody else out here. And when people see that, they're going to be drawn to it. Hey, these people really care about each other. They, they really love each other. And you know what? I don't know if you know this already because COVID is kind of messing a lot of things up right now. But people have seen this in this church. Do you realize that we had a couple, two couples here visiting not too long ago from California? who saw us on live stream, were going to move back. They were originally from Texas, but had to move up for a job, and they came back. They wanted to buy some land in Jacksboro. No, I want some more with hills and trees. So the real estate agent brought them over here. They saw the land. Oh, we love this land. And they just went by and said, hey, here's that church. They pulled in and joined us for worship and what they experienced and what they saw. And what they told me, we are coming back. We have to go sell our house and move, but we'll see you back in March of this year. Was the last words they told me as they walked out the door at the end of last year. There are some people who have experienced and saw a difference that, that you guys are making. People are drawn to that. Do not put off until tomorrow what you're being done today. There is a story about a man who had some people building his bridge across this great chasm in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a canyon area. And they were building it along, and they got to the part where they had most of the structure up and the, and the road going across, and they're almost done. And at the end of the day, he's asking his workers, would you please stay? I'll pay a day's wage. Please stay. This, just go ahead and finish it, because right now if something happens, it'll be lost. There's a storm coming. And if water gets built up, it can wash away everything we've worked on for the last three or four months. Let's do it now. And the workers say, eh, I want to go home. Tired. That very night, a storm came in and washed that bridge completely out. Everything they've done, gone. The peril of delay. Do you remember the hurricane that hit Texas not long ago? True story. Some college kids down there are going to have a hurricane watch party. Starts coming on. The police go out there. Make sure everybody's evacuated. This is serious. And so uh, it's getting close, closer. And of course, the outskirts of the storm, you know, stuff was blown everywhere, tree limbs. Wind's really howling. This little, his deputy gets out. He's driving. He's trying to dodge everything. He can barely get out of the car because the wind is so high. And he sees a bunch of kids up on this. Uh, condominium-like structure, close to the shore. They're up there partying. Hey, hey, the storm's coming in. You need to evacuate. Ah, we'll be okay. 
We got, you know, we're having a good time. We'll be all right. But you don't understand. The storm is coming. Ah, we'll be fine. He sits there and has this discussion with them. He's yelling as loud as he can because you realize the storm is coming. The wind is howling. You can see the waves crashing over the seawall. Hey, the storm. Ah. So finally, for his own safety, he gets in his car. He goes to a safe location. After the storm blows through, does a lot of damage, they go back to that spot. You know what's there where that building was? Nothing but a concrete foundation. So I'm telling you today with all the love in my heart, Jesus is coming. I will be okay. He hadn't come in the last 2,000 years. He loves me. He'll forgive me. No, but you don't understand. The King of kings and lords of lords is coming. I will be okay. Do you see the sense of urgency? I'm going to beg you, I implore you, just like as Paul told the Ephesians back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I beg you, I implore you, as a doulos of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God before it's too late. Take care of business with God before it's too late. Wouldn't it be better just to come up Maybe just pray by yourself. I can pray with you or someone around this room that you can go to. Wouldn't it be better to spend 15 minutes in prayer, letting God search your heart, than to spend all eternity thinking, why didn't I do that? Why did I take the time? The time is drawing near, dearly beloved. Everything Jesus told us about that was going to happen, but not at the end, famine, People hating each other. Families turn on one another. Son against mother, mother against daughter. We see that happening. But that's just the birth pangs. It's not the actual, it hasn't happened yet. But God is trying to get our attention. COVID-19, God's trying to have a huge altar call for the entire world to turn back to him. But it doesn't matter what I think or believe. It matters what you do and what you believe. What are you going to do? How are you going to live your life? That's the question only you can answer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could have together. And Father, I thank you for your word. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for putting so many things off when you told me to take care of them today. Father, I beg of you. Please, do not let anyone walk out of here without doing business with you first. Anybody in the range of my voice, dear God, I pray that more importantly, they will hear your voice, that they will hear and obey. Now is the time for mercy and forgiveness. The time is drawing close, dear God, and we know it. And although we look forward to that day, we can't help but wonder about all those family, loved ones, friends that still need to come to you. Father, may we live our lives with that sense of urgency. May people see you in us.
us. May your light, your love, reflect off us into this cold, dark, dying world. Continue to search us and to try us to see if there's any wicked way in us that we need to repent of. Oh God, have mercy on us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?